is up everybody my name is james de fiore and this is blackball okay i'm a little giddy um as everyone knows i'm a hip-hop head and my favorite thing in the world to do is talk about hip-hop and um i'm gonna make the intro short because he doesn't have much time but i have i was able to land one of those guests that are like a bucket list guest of like kind of like golden era pioneers i guess i would call them um, rappers that impacted me when I was like a little kid writing rhymes without knowing what he was doing, probably totally biting this man's flow accidentally <laughs> when I was doing it. Um, but he's here. He's the co-founder of Death Row Records. He is a platinum-selling artist, and his name is the D O C. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, I'm my brother. Thank you for having. No, thank you for coming. I know you're, uh, you're, you're, this is a little unorthodox and you have to go soon, but um, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. I, um, I want to start kicking right off. In the formula, I just found this out today and I'm just startled that I didn't know this. Um, the opening lines, high energy flowing with the wisdom, sense of a rich man, knowledge and the, knowledge and the rhythm. Those components are inspirational rappers. Those are people, yeah. Can you break that down for us? Uh, high energy is run. Flowing with the wisdom is KRS-One. Sense of a rich man is Slick Rick. Knowledge in the rhythm is Rakim. That's dope. That's Because that's like the four elements of <laughs> what would make like a super god MC. Um, <laughs> you know? Um, you so, yeah, go ahead. Mm. I, I have so much respect uh, for those guys as a shorty and what they were doing. I just want to be just like them. I know that you're from Texas and I'm from Canada. I'm from Toronto. But when you talked about what you listened to when you were young, it was like the same stuff. Like All I cared about was New York hip hop um, when, I, when I was young. And it was funny because I saw someone on Twitter the other day um, accuse you of uh, a weird accusation, but accuse you of being, oh, you must be an East Coast guy because you're all about this. And it was funny because I just finished watching your interview with Talib Kuli and you're like, oh, well, I'm a Texas guy who listened to, you're like that bridge between the East and West in a lot of ways, were you not? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So um, you, you got into an accident that damaged your vocal cords. In fact, it wasn't even the accident that did it, was it? It was the feeding tube that they put inside of you? Is that right? Oh, the innovation tubes. Mm. And, and, they, and they just, you know, it was a life-saving sort of deal. And uh, they, they were just trying to save my life, bro. And, yeah. And they ended up doing, doing some damage. But, but you know, all of those things were, were meant to be, you know. Uh, and I don't, I don't have any blame towards anybody, any heartfulness towards anybody, because all those things made me who I am today. Yeah, I've heard you speak about that too, and it's a spiritual, like a spirituality, which sounded a lot to me like synchronicity. Uh, the way that your your life path uh, intersects with either conflict or redemption or something, 
and just immediately does like a hairpin turn and you're in a whole new life that you wouldn't have been in if one or two decisions weren't made and unbeknownst to you, but here you are. The attitude that you have of that, was that something that you had immediately where you're like, this is my path now, or did you have to work on that? Oh, no, it took me 33 years to start thinking like this. Wow. I was lost in a, I was lost in a, in a, in a real tailspin of depression, drugs, alcohol, and suicide. You know, I was, I was not doing too well, you know. Um, but like I said, it was a path I had to walk, and, and it got me where I am today and I feel really good about the guy I am today. Um, it's fun watch. It's fun doing a DOC deep dive because, um, first of all, I want to know um, what this DOC didn't know that this one does. Like if you could go back in time and tell this guy to go talk to this guy, what would he say to him? I would tell him to buckle up. Yeah, buckle up, but just be true to who you are, because the second guy and the first guy are really the same guy. It was in the middle that that uh, that that was a little hard to deal with. Uh, But but the young guy was just a kid that loved good music and wanted to be a part of good music. He was, in his essence, just a good guy. And the older guy in the, uh, with the Moses beard is pretty much the same guy. He's just essentially a good guy that, that loves making good art. Um, I don't know if this you would call this accurate, but again, I'm from Canada, so I think I'd get a pass if I didn't know many others. But um, you were like the first non-East Coast lyricist that I, that I remember listening to and going, oh, wow, this, that's great. <laughs> because I've, I was like searching for rappers outside of New York when I was young. This is like the late 80s, early 90s kind of thing. And um, I always just did that thing where I associated lyricism with the East Coast and different kind of funky musical stuff with the West Coast. And then there, then you came and I was just like, and then, I, I mean, obviously there's exceptions like Ice Cube and people like that. But, you know, it was the first time it was that stark for me. And, you know, what was the scene like in Texas? Like, did you feel kind of like, like, I know you had a crew and everything, but it must have, was it small? Like, well, going back to like the late 80s, early 90s, like, well, just give me a sense of what the vibe was like. And, you know, were there big events or were they just gritty underground events? Like, you know, yeah. what was that like? I don't think there were there were any any events. You know, there were, it's small is like an understatement. It was just, you know, neighborhoods, sort of like the beginnings in uh, in New York City just this neighborhood and then that neighborhood uh, had their sort of cast of rappers, but there wasn't any central location where anybody went. You know, there were no big shows or anything like that before I left to go to California, uh, uh, amongst us down here anyway. There were shows, but there was always other people that was that were already succeeding who, would, who was visiting down here. That's a cool kind of ground floor cultural, you know, um, construction almost like, you know, who's, you know, where your place, uh, where you represent uh, or where you rent, I guess, right, is is um, closely associated with styles usually. And I always thought it was interesting to hear um, different generational rappers talk about one was talking about kind of building it and the other one was talking about making it different. You know, um, what do you feel uh, is 
how do you feel about today's uh, hip hop selections? Like I like just as a generalization, but I know there's good and bad and everything. But just out of curiosity, yeah, I try to stay away from from uh, the judgment of it mm. because uh, I, I don't, I'm sure I don't understand it as well as the kids understand it. But there are bits and pieces of it that I that I really enjoy, uh, and then there are bits and pieces of it that I don't as much. Uh, I think uh, on a whole, in in the year of hip hop, I think uh, making a concentrated effort to try to return the music back to the uh, the four corners, uh, uh, love, peace, unity, and having fun, you know, uh, and less angry, uh, murder, death, kills stuff is is yeah. really important. I think. You know, I think even the kids understand it. They just don't have, they haven't had the voice to help pull them uh, uh, that way. And, and in that respect, I think uh, all these things happening for me have sort of a purpose to it. And if nothing else, that that's probably it. Uh, those rappers that you mentioned in the formula, oh, by the way, I think, so I'm, the, the, the KRS-One, I think, is, is definitely on my list as well. Did you, when, when you were looking up to rappers before you met them and then worked with them, how was that kind of adjustment? Like, did, did, was there a little buffer time where you needed to kind of get used to the fact of where you were? I think of stories like you, I think of stories like Eminem meeting Dre, and I'm just like, what would you do in that situation? You know, and you just put your head down and work or, or what? Um, and, and what was it like to establish a relationship from first you knew them and they didn't know you and then your equals? Well, when when I went to California, the, the, the California, as you know, it didn't, didn't exist. Hmm. They were still doing uh, bad records and uh, do, uh, the LA Dream Team records and stuff like that. But I was a seasoned East Coast MC. So in my mind, I was better than everybody. So I didn't have to uh, acclimate myself to anybody. I came in with the attitude that, you know, I'm the best thing smoking in here. Let's get to work. Yeah. Uh, I like that that East Coast swagger. And also I like uh, when people surprise you. And um, you're largely claimed uh, in, in some circles as putting out a gangster rap album without any profanity. Yeah, and I think uh, I heard somebody say it was a it was a hip hop album disguised as a gangster rap album. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's accurate as well. I, I um I had a Canadian rapper on Shad. I, I don't know if you watched Hip Hop Evolutions, but he was the cat that was interviewing everybody. And um, when I had him on, he was he was. Uh, he was talking about how hip hop or Tribe Called Quest he said specifically but how hip hop was like when you're a rapper you're, you can be anything you want it's like theater you can be a director or a character from a movie that doesn't exist or Shakespeare or you know um, whatever a king and, and, that, and that it kind of opens up the portals of the mind for the writer is the age of the lyricist is that kind of like that four elements that you're talking about I, I think of how there's hardly any ciphers I never see ciphers anymore where I, when I go out and, um, and I used to see that all the time when I was young. Is that the kind of thing that you hope will resurface as well? Is that that true lyricism? Bro, I'm, I'm in the streets, and I can hear mm. the 
that there's a subtle shift in the way these kids are trying to do it. Now, they're not, it's not going to be a drastic change because the kids are doing what they think is going to make them money. But as an art form, there is a subtle shift, subtle shift in the paradigm. I can feel it. I can see it. So I think it's just a matter of time before what you're talking about ends up reality. I may have just given away that I live in a forest in Canada. <laughs> um, oh, you, I know, guy. I, I'm, uh, I'm supposed to be coming to Toronto uh, huh. here very soon to do some work with No Sugar Guy. With who, sorry? He's the No Sugar Guy. He's uh, Brad Woodgate. He's got a company called No Sugar. And he and I are doing some work. He has a he has a, a, a a brand and sort of a, a mission that, that that aligns with mine. Hmm. He's a real hip hop man and wants to use sort of the, some of this movement to open people's minds to the idea of of having less sugar in their lives. Excuse me, less refined sugar. And he's a good guy. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I think, yeah, I thought was, John Sally was doing something like this not too long ago, I thought. Something similar. Yeah. He's in the same vibe. Yeah. Um, listen, before you go, because I know, I, I know you got to go, um, I have one last question, and then it's kind of a deeper one, and I just wanted to, I have to ask this, because it, it's weird. It's weird to me to, like, un- understand what it's like um, when you try to balance humility and a sense of your own history to be viewed as um, sort of, like, part of the actual fabric of hip-hop culture um i know that that you probably don't want to be all braggy and stuff but i just want to know if you um if you understand that that's how we view you and if so does it give you pause and what does it make you think of i understand that that is exactly the way people see me and and relate to me and it's a blessing bro i'm thankful and i'm grateful i don't take it for granted but i'm a spiritual guy so in the depths of my soul I know that it's not me. I know that it's a God-given gift and everything is coming from him through me. And so if I look at it in those terms, then having a big head doesn't really come to the pit. Gotta give the, the, the sort of the glory for, for lack of a better way to the, to the source. I'm just thankful he made me the God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, listen, um, I loved having you on. I'll let you go. Um, thank you again for doing this. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. It's the hip hop's 50th birthday. So I would love to, you know, later on this year, maybe catch up with you again and see how the year went. Once the movie, once the documentary comes out, I'll come back. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. The DOC, thank you so much for joining us tonight. God bless you. Oh, the quick ones. I had like, I had all these, uh, all these, you know, plans for the construction of the show, which I normally don't do, but it was in my head. And um, yeah, it, it just when I booked him, um, it's funny because I, I sometimes have luck um, getting the rappers from the era that I enjoyed. Um, in, in weird ways, but almost nobody answers uh, social media DMs unless you're like, unless they follow you or something. And I think I, I tried his Facebook one first and it came back in German or something like this auto re response. And I honestly didn't think I would get him. And then I hit him up in Twitter and we, we coordinated and here we are a couple months later. And um, yeah, I wish I had longer because he's he's such a deep guy and, and, and he's also... Um, mastered the art of being deep while being simple and and uh i really like that about him to have a uh so so just to put in perspective he put out this album no one can do it better this is his debut album as a solo artist and it goes platinum in the states and it sells millions of copies and he's heralded as being sort of the, like you know the next great rapper the next great mc he had like a lyrical like like you heard me say to him he had a lyrical kind of prowess and sophistication that people associated with guys like rakim and then um and, but he was from texas and he was associated with uh, nwa and he ended up co i didn't even get to the death row record stuff but i didn't know quite how to say in a question so should what's should night what's it like to be friends your whole life with a guy who's probably not a very nice person <laughs> or something like that. Um, but, you know, it was nice to have him. Um, it's funny. It was almost a miracle that, I mean, the audio kicked out for him like once or twice, I think. And that's just because when, we, when you end up talking over each other even a little bit, uh, those phones just like glitch right out. Um, and, but it was a miracle that it just didn't freeze or just was the, mo the worst thing of all time. Um, so that was fortunate. Again, a little too short for my liking, but um, I'm just happy to have him. Um, for the first time in this, uh, <laughs> this episode, I will look at the, at, the, uh, at the chat. Oh, great job. Thank you, James, too. I appreciate that. And then there is Leanne who says, Are, is this what they do? Is this what people do with comments? And then Leanne Schaefer says, our hero of the beginning of music. Wonderful to meet you. <laughs> I can't do this guy. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Really? Um, I mean, they're all great comments, but I guess I'm supposed to engage with you guys a little bit. I was told by someone behind the scenes that I might want to do a little bit more engagement than just ejecting people from the show on Fridays. So, um, yeah, here I am. Um, here I am trying to engage with my people. <laughs> I engage with many of them one-on-one. -on -one. This is too communal for me, and it's too distracting for ADHD people to like constantly see something in the side of your vision and just keep climbing. All right. Um, I have um, an interesting announcement that I would like to make, and I think you guys are going to really like it. I truly do. <clears throat> so, do this. Open. Okay, 
So there is a person who is my Facebook friend. And I don't know how quite to describe her. Um, she is uh, like one of the most talented painters I think I have ever seen in my life. She also happens to have a particular look where if you are on mushrooms, um, it's quite she's quite delightful to look at. I don't, I don't, that, and I swear to God, I'm not just like, look at her boobs. It's, it, but it's just like she's got these tattoos and you know that she's a great artist. And I'm just telling you, when you're on six grams of shrooms and you come across a photo of her, it's like, Wah! to the point now, every time that she posts a picture, I, I jokingly po uh, post a shrooms tripping out gif or gif, whatever they're called. And now I am sitting here trying to figure out what to do um, to ask this person to be a guest on the show because I know that she's notoriously shy. And so what I decided to do was contact her and ask her if instead, uh, like I asked her if she wanted to come on and she was like, oh, I'd love to, but I don't know. And I couldn't get her to say yes. So what I did instead was I told her that I was going to sort of run a countdown uh, to when Shroom's Girl comes on the show. So this is what, this, my, my dynamic creative brain has decided that the girl that I look at while I'm on shrooms and I look at her art as well, okay, um, that she is, uh, she's, <laughs> I, I wanted to come on the show. So it's going to be the countdown to shrooms girl. So she's sort of tacitly agreed that eventually she's going to come on. But, um, but the convincing still has to happen. And I still have to try to figure out you know, if, um, you know, how to interview someone that you feel like doesn't want to be interviewed. But I feel like her art will speak for itself. I also am very happy that I'm friends with a guy like DaCosta um, because DaCosta and I got put our heads together and, um, and we, or he, I should say, so this is one of them, Countdown to, Sh that's Shroom's Girl. Um, and, and the quote from James says, just boss me around, it's, it's fine. Words from a broken man. So we have that one, and then we have this one. Countdown to Shrooms Girl. There's another one that I really like because it, it captured... I was one of those guys that... Um, because I, I blame hip-hop. Um, I was kind of... Uh, how shall we put this? I liked girls that were like burlesque girls <laughs> and, uh, and like roller derby girls. I don't know why. I think I just... There was an aspect of it that was just like... I don't know, it feels like if you got in a fight, she might punch you in the mouth, but then she'd make amazing love to you or something. Or something. It'd be amazing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I sent one, I sent, I got her permission, by the way, for all these. And I sent Acosta a picture of, um, of her doing, uh, with her roller derby outfit on. And then I, did, I thought, I decided that is the king or the queen, I guess I should say, of all of these uh, photos. So here's, here's the one. So, so again, just for people who may have just joined us late, uh, two minutes before the show's over, um, the, whenever I'm on shrooms um, and I'm scrolling through my Facebook homepage, if I happen to be doing that, and I come across a picture of this person, who is, uh, her name's Sarah, but I call her shrooms girl. She's also this person. Um, and she's also this person because she was a roller derby person. Come on, guys. Like, if you're seeing... I, I'm so, I feel really bad for the people on Spotify because they're, they have no idea. They have no idea. <laughs> but Acosta does. Countdown to Shrooms, girl. So, um, I think we're going to do... Um,
casual Fridays are gonna is when we're gonna kick that off, and I'll just bring it up where the, where the guest is appropriate to bring it up something like that. So um, today it was too short. I would have brought it up. Uh, casual Friday, I will. Um, every single politician, just to watch them squirm, I will, and journalist. And then I won't. Um, actually, I'll just no, I won't to like uh, to certain artists because it will seem <laughs> it will seem tacky to them. Her, you know, it says a lot about me that I didn't. Uh, steal one of her paintings and put it up. But she said she had never sold them yet. So I didn't want to, like, you know, expose her work without her permission. So I didn't do that. Actually, the truth is, I just didn't even think of it. Um, I just thought of Shroom's Girl <laughs> because I think it's hilarious. Um, because I told her, by the way, I'm like, now, I don't know if you get this a lot, but you're quite satisfying to view while on Shroom's. Um, the tattoos, you know, everything else. And, uh, and she was fine. She was fine. She was like, I'm flattered. And so she, she proved the stuff, and now here we are. Um, do you think I'm desperate for content? Because I actually feel like I'm just trying to stay loose. You know? um, there's a lot of uh, that we tackle here, surprisingly. And uh, it's nice to take a little bit of a break from that once in a while. Um, on uh, Friday. Oh, yeah, Friday is casual Friday. On Monday, we have... A, I think he's been with The Simpsons as a writer and a producer for a quarter. I had him on the show before with the F is for right. Michael Price. Um, Michael Price, by the way, um, for anyone interested, will be the writer of the episode of The Simpsons that will be on February 12th. And it is called... Hostile Kirk Place. So yeah, so that's the episode title. I don't know why I gave you the title. Um, but the... There's a, guy, there's a guy from Restream right now. This is why I don't like Restream. Who's bugging me in the middle of a podcast and now I don't know how to get rid of the stupid thing. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I'm, I'm super excited about that. So I, w we had an agreement when uh, he came on with the F is for Family uh, writers, and I totally actually agreed. I asked him beforehand, should I just leave The Simpsons out of it? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you should probably do that. And then um, because I'm a constant showrunner, like it's breathing, I uh, quickly said, oh, uh, maybe you'd like to come back and talk about The Simpsons. I can't wait to talk to him about The Simpsons. If you're my age, and I'm 46, or around there, and you've watched The Simpsons since, you know, season one, it feels um, like, especially when you lived through it, which I think is sort of rare, when, uh, when something creates such a societal trend to the point where The Simpsons, I think, inflections that they use and variations of jokes that they say or ideas said in a different way, they shaped our sense of humor in the early 90s and late 90s like nothing ever. Um, there was a distinct before Simpsons and after Simpsons kind of cultural ethos that was stark at the time. And I've asked so many people this and, and even the ones that I had never thought of before immediately are like, yeah, you know, I, I said an example on this podcast once there's a, there was a band called meth. The Simpsons are the one that made meth a thing. You know, why did you go outside? It's really nice. I was not watching TV. Meh. And we started using it immediately <laughs> at school. Teacher would be like, why didn't you do your homework? Nah. You know, works anytime. Um, and just the general sarcasm, you know, um, the, uh, 
the episode where uh, the Hullapalooza one, where uh, where Bart's like, um, you know, making kids depressed is like shooting fish in a barrel. Making teenagers depressed is like shooting fish in a barrel. And the one guy's like, you know, are you being sarcastic, man? And the other guy's like, I don't even know anymore, man. That line permeated everywhere. I used to go to different countries and hear people say a variation of that, and I knew it was from The Simpsons. I, I, I don't think that, I, I can't really think of a show um, that has had a, an actual, tangible, cultural impact um, like that one did. And maybe I'm just out of touch because I haven't had a TV or cable television in like a decade. So what do I know? But, um, but living through it, uh, there was a definite uh, transition in how we viewed humor it was so sarcastic like everything was sarcastic when my buddy and i dave dave will be on on friday dave has a new song um and the song's melody is great but his face will make you cry so stay tuned for that um on friday because you're not (laughs) gonna want to miss it but no i mean there's uh yeah uh we have a uh you know i have a chance to like pick the brain of someone who is sort of like responsible for a lot of the um trends or what do you call that lexicon? Like the phrasings, like the things that people say, the vernacular, the vernacular, um, that it's like the, the footprint of that show. Sorry, I keep on being distracted because people are coming in the back end. I'm going to go guys. If I need to go, please, <laughs> I have ADHD stuff. Anyways. Um, so Michael Price is on, on Monday. And so I can't wait. Um, the other guests, uh, I'm, I'm working on uh, cementing, but uh, you know me. I'll, I'll have a bunch of stuff in store for you. And until then, we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black Ball. Black Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.